Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's October 9th. Che Guevara was executed on this day in 1967. He was born June 14, 1928, and his name, his full name, was Ernesto Guevara de la Serna. And before becoming a revolutionary, he grew up in a middle-class family. He had a pretty typical middle-class upbringing. He went to medical school. He traveled a lot during his university years, and as he was traveling, he saw the tremendous poverty that was just endemic in many parts of South America, He came to believe during all of this travel and during his studies that the only way that the common people could take the power and wealth out of the hands of the elite was through an armed uprising. He got his medical degree in 1953, and then in 1954, he met Fidel Castro for the first time. That meeting happened in Mexico. He joined up with Fidel Castro and was instrumental in Castro's overthrow of the Cuban government in 1959. After the revolution, Guevara was made the president of the National Bank of Cuba and also served as the minister of industry. Aside from that, he was sort of Fidel Castro's right-hand man. Guevara was deeply against U.S. policy and against U.S. influence in Central and South America. This was at a time when the United States was using the fear of communism to justify ongoing intervention in multiple places in Central and South America. The United States was trying to keep governments in power that were friendly to U.S. interests or to put such governments in power where they did not already exist. In 1965, Guevara either left or was dismissed from his work in Cuba. It's not 100% clear. He did write a farewell letter, though, in which he said, quote, I have fulfilled the part of my duty that tied me to the Cuban Revolution, and I say goodbye to you, to the comrades, to your people who are now mine. Castro read this letter in a public speech on October 3rd, 1965. When Guevara left Cuba, he wanted to spread revolution to other parts of the world. So he did things like go to the Congo to train guerrilla forces. He did also secretly return to Cuba for a time. And then he went to Bolivia and he joined a guerrilla uprising against the Bolivian government. He arrived there in the fall of 1966. He got into Bolivia with a forged Uruguayan passport. The reason he chose Bolivia was that he thought that conditions were really ripe for revolution in lots of Latin America, but he thought that Bolivia was less of a priority to the United States, so he might face less opposition from the United States there. That didn't turn out to be true, though. By May of 1967, U.S. intelligence had heard that Guevara was alive and then had confirmed it. The CIA had thought that when he left Cuba earlier that he had really been killed because nothing was heard from him for a time, at least from American authorities. And the CIA was monitoring the situation, was keeping President Lyndon Johnson updated on what Che Guevara was doing in Bolivia. By the fall, Guevara's force was actively fighting against the Bolivian military, although nearly a third of his men were killed in one engagement on August 31st of 1967. 
About two weeks after that, the Bolivian government started dropping flyers that advertised a reward for Che Guevara's capture. Soon, he was facing dwindling numbers of his fighting force, and he and many of his fighting force were ill. The Bolivian army captured him with support from the United States military on October 8th, and they executed him at the age of 39 on the 9th. They decided to execute him because they thought that a trial was just going to spread his ideas and increase his popularity. So they thought it was a strategic decision that an execution would put a stop to what he was doing and to his reputation, but it had the opposite effect. That didn't work at all. After he was executed, they cut off his hands, took photos, cut off some of his hair, and buried him in an unmarked grave. There were some questions among U.S. intelligence at first about whether he really had been killed, But a presidential advisor confirmed Guevara's death to President Johnson on October 13th. In 1997, his remains were located and sent back to Cuba and reburied there, and Fidel Castro was at that ceremony. Although questions were raised later about whether those remains really had been his, a picture of Guevara in a beret has become iconic, and very widely reproduced. And that photo was taken in 1960 by Alberto Corda. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat for her research work on today's podcast and to Tari Harrison for all her audio work on this podcast. You can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcast. Tune in tomorrow for the death of an assassin. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a show where we peel back a new layer of history every day. The day was October 9th, 1855. Joshua Stoddard received a patent for the steam-powered Calliope, an instrument that produces musical notes when steam is sent through large whistles. The steam calliope is loud and shrill, and it was used mainly on riverboats and in circuses and fairs where steam was readily available. The calliope is sometimes called the steam piano or steam organ. Stoddard was a beekeeper, following in line with the family business. Because his family was well off, Stoddard had time to invent things. One of those creations was the calliope. The original Calliope had 15 whistles of different sizes attached in a row to the top of a small steam boiler. Stoddard was issued patent number 13668 for his so-called apparatus for producing music by steam or compressed air. In his patent, Stoddard noted that his use of a puppet valve, now called a poppet valve, to let steam or air escape was an important feature of the instrument. As a spoked cylinder revolved, it pressed on the puppet valve stems, lifting them and letting steam into the whistles. That meant it was the first patented completely mechanical calliope, though Stoddard did later replace the cylinder with a keyboard so the instrument could be played by hand. Though Stoddard received the patent for the steam calliope, his design built on existing instruments and concepts. In an 1851 issue of the Dayton Journal and Advertiser, William Hoyt of DuPont, Indiana, claimed that he, quote, "...invented a plan whereby music can be produced on steamboats of the softest and most pathetic character by the agency of steam." He described the instrument as having a horizontal pipe with seven or more whistles in it that had different sizes and tones, 
and he said it was operated by a set of keys. But there was no evidence that he ever patented or built that instrument. Stoddard envisioned the Calliope as a replacement for the Caroline, or church bells. But the instrument found success in being mounted on parade wagons and circuses. There would be a driver who controlled the wagon, a fireman to stoke the boiler, and a musician to play the Calliope's keyboard. Calliope whistles are tuned to a chromatic scale, but the instrument is known for its off-pitch notes because of how hard it is to tune accurately. Stoddard's Calliope made its first official debut in July of 1855. In its second appearance on Worcester Common on July 4th, audiences enjoyed performances of Pop Goes the Weasel and Yankee Doodle. Some models of Calliopes could be heard for several miles. Because Calliopes were so loud, they were good at attracting attention. So they were installed on riverboats, in circuses, and on steam-driven carousels. But it was so loud that some of Stoddard's family and the people in Worcester were ashamed of the instrument. The city of Worcester even passed an ordinance that banned playing the Calliope within city limits. The loudness of the instrument also was not great for Calliope players, as it could cause premature hearing loss. Stoddard started the American Steam Music Company to make the Calliope for railroads and steamships. Stoddard created improved models of the Calliope, and the instrument was installed on many boats. The number of whistles on a Calliope varied from around 20 to 32, and people experimented with different uses for the Calliope, like using it to alert ship's captains of changing weather conditions. Though it wasn't long before Stoddard lost control of the company, other companies manufactured Calliopes for years. As many Calliopes were automated through the use of a cylinder or music roll by the early 20th century, Calliope players became less integral to the operation of the instruments. But they still had a keyboard, allowing a person to play the Calliope manually. Around this time, compressed air began to replace the steam used in Calliopes, which was safer and more convenient. Calliopes still exist today, and some are still in working order, though most are no longer playable. Stoddard didn't make a bunch of money off of the Calliope, and after he lost his company, he returned to farming and beekeeping. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Looking for content a little more sophisticated than cat memes in your feed? Connect with us on social media at Podcast. And if you would like to write me a letter, you can scan it, turn it into a PDF, and send it to us via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.